You're listening to Conversion Nations, the podcast that helps conversion optimizers overcome challenges they face with their experimentation programs. Brought to you by Effective Experiments, the workflow and project management software helping optimizers make experimentation a core part of their business. Scale up your testing program with a centralized solution and document all your research, ideas, experiments, and results in one place. Learn more and request your free trial by visiting EffectiveExperiments.com. And now, your host, Manuel DaCosta. Hello and welcome to Conversion Nation. Uh, this is Manuel DaCosta from Effective Experiments welcoming you to another episode of our podcast where we're going to talk about, well, on this episode, we're going to reveal once and for all the best A-B testing tool on the planet. Cue drum roll. And so, Tim, tell us, who is the best A-B testing tool on the planet? I have the answer right here, and the answer is from the Conversion Nation, on Conversion Nations, the answer is it depends, because that's always the answer for conversion-related stuff. That's a bit um, anticlimactic. I assumed you would come (laughs) up with an answer. Every time on forums, we, we, we get people asking us, we're looking for a tool, and everyone jumps in with suggestions. So on this, on this podcast, uh, we are going to delve deeper into that. But before we go into that, let's, let's do some introductions. Tim Stewart, as you know, has been around for uh, quite a long time now. Uh, he's <laughs> joining me again. Uh, he's promised to, to be succinct on this podcast. But uh, also, we've got a new guest with us. Dennis van der Hayden. Dennis is the CEO of Convert.com, which is a testing tool. So why did we invite him? Well, we learn more. Dennis, do you want to introduce yourself, tell us your story, and tell us why you agreed to be on this podcast as well? Yeah, I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Convert. We exist like 10 years. I'm sorry for the lightning and location. Um, Convert is uh, celebrating their 10-year anniversary here in Bali with the team. So... Um, Anyway, I'm here on the, on the podcast because I guess I'm invited just because I'm Dutch. I give it to you straight. That's it, right? I mean, it's good to have you on uh, nonetheless, but I thought it would be good to bring someone from a testing tool side, a vendor side, if you want to call it that, uh, just to get your take on it and to see how you, you, know, how you find uh, when, you talk, when your salespeople or you talk to customers how you figure out whether your tool is right or not. So, so Tim, let's start with this, right? So uh, we, we are on quite a few Facebook groups and Slack channels, and quite often we see people post, hey, I'm looking for an A-B testing tool. What's the best one out there? And mm-hmm. literally within seconds, there's a barrage of comments, whether that's, well, whether that's Optimizely or Target or SiteSpec or SiteGainer or Fresh Marketer or Convert, or A-B Tasty, so I'm trying to name everyone so I don't leave anyone out. But Launch Darkly came up recently as kind of, yeah. Um, I think the, the funny thing is, yes, because we're on conversion optimization groups, and we talk about bias all the time. We talk about purchasing decisions. And that whenever that question's asked, you get a classic example of classic human bias is that everybody chips in with the best. And their reasoning, if I kind of, sum it down is they're basically trying to back up their own decision so it's the one they've chosen so therefore they will defend it to the death because otherwise they'd be explaining a stupid decision 
So um, it's quite amusing because the ironic situation is they're asking for good advice and the advice almost always comes out with the one we picked. Why? Because we're clever at summing <laughs> it down. So um, the bias is quite amusing. Um, I've obviously got work with SiteSpect. I've done some some work with, with other vendors in the past. I've used most of the mainstream tools um, and me and I think a couple of other voices, we we quite often come up with, it depends. And that's why the answer we gave is, is it really depends how able you are to make use of that tool. And I think an awful lot of people who jump straight in with their, this, this one, because uh, this one, because I say so answers aren't actually doing what any good salesperson should do. And what Dennis can talk about is, is trying to match the solution to the customer, which is. It, it happened today, as, right? Someone yeah. asking for a single page application testing and yep. predictably everyone started recommending you know, their own solutions. Well, you know, the Oops. solutions that they're familiar with. Uh, I think Dennis. <laughs> I did that. I did that. I, I jumped into that as well. Hey, look at that uh, support article where you can support SBAs. But all yeah. we're, we're yeah. most, most vendors are also on these forums, right? So, I mean, yeah, they are. They are. And I think like vendors are biased, if anything. I mean, from an obvious point of view, oh. no vendor is going to be like, hey, you know, check someone else out. But really, from your point of view, uh, Dennis, um, Again, keeping sales out of this, obviously, yeah, you know, yeah, we're yeah. not trying to put anyone over the other. But when you look at, you know, when a customer approaches you and says, hey, you know, we've heard about convert from so-and-so person, how do you figure out whether they would be a good fit, right? What is, what, like, what criteria are you evaluating them against? Uh, and we'll come to Tim as well, but I'd like to get your thoughts on that first. Well, you have to understand a little bit how the market now is for tools, right? We are... I think in the world, around 85,000, maybe 100,000 customers of A-B testing tools, and that's it. And there's not a lot of growth in that. So there is, we're all kind of having our tools, and especially agencies that have multiple tools, and most of the sites have their pick. And so the reason for switching from one tool to the next is usually a real problem. Like they are experiencing something. The stack changed, uh, the team changed, and and so what, what what Tim said, like somebody comes on the team and is like fan of something and brings along a tool. Um, so most of that start of the conversation is usually why we're here. Like what is the new problem that wasn't there before? Um, because it's not like expanding that much to the market itself, like the total addressable market. I would like at this moment, maybe it's a hundred thousand people that use a testing tool. And I think 30% of them use Google optimize, right? So the market is kind of already divided. And so the, the conversation starter is usually why we're here, right? It's not like most of the, most of the people that come to us are having a particular reason to come to us and just, that's what we're trying to find out. Actual selling a tool for somebody that never tested rarely happens because they all have gone through a couple of testing tools to get there, usually the free ones. And it's kind of with maturity, you grow into also new tools. I think that's really important. Like the maturity of the company also kind of brings along new questions. First test, Definitely. button color test. Okay, well, we kind of know where you are then, right? <laughs> it's like, right. uh, okay, 
You're still thinking yeah. that the visual editor can do it? Hmm, okay, we scraped that part from our demo already a long time ago, but you want to see it? Sure, we'll pull it up for you. Like, it's, I think it's important to know is like, ask the question, why are we here? Definitely, and I think cost is usually like from uh, what I've seen as well, like from our point of view, selling effective experiments as well, uh, understanding you know, whether we're at the right position to help a customer uh, but cost plays a big part in it. You know, that seems to come up quite often, uh, generally speaking, when people evaluate tools because they need to make that case. And so, as you said, 30% of the market might be going for Google Optimize primarily because it's free or tag manager or, or kind of like okay. hack together solutions. But, you know, uh, as the conversation in uh, the Slack channel today where someone was asking, you know, they've been using tag manager for uh, single page applications. And I think it was, uh, Rudger that jumped in and said, hang on, you know, single page applications with Tag Manager, you will run into a heap of problems further down the line yeah. and you might want to consider something different. So that's a trigger point where someone is considering, uh, you know, the change forward. Um, what, are, what are the key triggers that you would see in, the, in you know, for someone evaluating a testing tool the right way, right? Again, it might be that they, they are, they're bought into the marketing, they're bought into the hype or whatever, whether that's an AI tool or whether that's, you know, a, a full stack tool, whatever that is. But really, how does someone objectively, yeah, objectively figure out the, whether a testing tool is right? How, how would you advise them, Tim? Oh, me. Um, it come, it, Dennis kind of covered it. It's kind of where are they in terms of what they need to test on for their business? So we talk about kind of, you know, the stack and where it fits. But the... The choice between kind of the levels, I think, is where the, the bigger decision points come. So if you take that transition between, say, your Google Optimize uh, to something that's paid, which traditionally or kind of traditionally, but the lower intended to be VWO, obviously they no longer offer kind of an entry level point to the same degree. So you've got quite a big jump. Dennis with converts it to the kind of the, the reasonable starting point, price point. But then between those kind of entry level and early professional tools, the next jump up is enterprise. You know, there's a huge jump, kind of 30, 40, 50,000 pounds in terms of kind of how much it's going to cost you annually. So yeah. the decision point quite often for, for uh, moving between tiers is much, much larger. There's much more things that need to be you know, committed budget. There's a goal in mind. They've got uh, a new stack, which they won't be able to do um, their, their old school testing on where they are as a business in terms of what they need to do. Swapping between the tools within a level, we're talking broadly feature parity for most of them. You know, the limitations Google's got on optimized do compromise the testing you can do. But if you use any of their tools to their strength, they'll be better than the next level ups tool used badly. You know, I've seen Target right. used really, really poorly and people go, oh, we need to swap. Why? And they, they're complaining about a lack of a feature and I know that it supports that feature. It's just they've never read the manual or the feature isn't, as Dennis was saying, a drag and drop WYSIWYG option. You actually have to get into the code and to them that's a failure. Whereas to most people that would be like, no, there is no way to drag and drop this. You have to code this and you have to code it properly. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So yeah. a lot of the time the problem they're trying to solve they're hoping to buy a tool that takes away that problem, but the problem's fundamental to where they are as a business. And quite a lot of that chopping and changing you see 
will continue to happen until they address the root cause of kind of how well set up they are to manage the level of testing that their ambition says they should be doing. So it's not, uh, I don't think it's in terms of the, it's not necessarily just this one feature. I think it tends to be the bigger groups between how seriously do we take testing. And once we're at a serious enough level to warrant a tool where we can have a long feature comparison list, I think if you used any of the kind of the big enterprise tools to their maximum, you're going to hit pretty high limits, but there will be limits. If you're using any of the kind of the middle tier tier tools, then they're going to be limits as well, but they're going to be different. And it may well be that you could never touch the limits of some of the middle level tools within your business. You don't have the coding skills to push it past what it can already do. But the envy of a nicer reporting suite or whatever you think is going to be in the enterprise tool makes you upgrade. So I think the the decision points and the costs and the kind of weighing up and pros and cons, people dress it up in terms of, you know, I'm trying to make a logical decision. But what I see most often is, a, is an emotive response. You know, as Dennis said, they're annoyed with their current provider. That's why they're swapping. It's not necessarily yeah. going to get them better features. They feel like they should be doing grown-up testing. So they're going to dump the cheap product that they don't use to its maximum and go to an enterprise product that they can't even see the size, let alone touch, but we're on an enterprise tool. And that's probably not appropriate because it just massively jumps up your cost base, but you're still not leveraging the value back out of it. Um, but most people won't look internally as part of their RFP to go, what are we capable of using now? They'll yeah. look externally and say, if you can fix, you know, if you can do this tick list, then we'll, we'll have a competition on price. And seeing as they all go tick, 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 it just yeah. becomes that, that negotiation piece. And yeah. quite often the people who end up using it don't have that, uh, don't end up with the solution they ultimately need. Let's come then to that quickly. Dennis. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Now I was, I was like, this is interesting because the RFP part you mentioned it is um, do cus- customers on enterprise level actually use the RFPs properly? Like when I see no. one, we're all like, ah, bye, we're not going to go and go, go and do them. No, no, no. Like <laughs> RFPs is are there, because I look at RFPs and look at the four, first four lines like, ah, I know where this is coming from. I know what provider <laughs> provided this because <laughs> based on the first four lines of this RFP, so how does that work on the enterprise? Because you, I think you're dealing more in an, in, in an area. Uh, have been. Sorry, no, sorry, sorry, Mamo. Uh, just yeah. to stop you there, uh, Tim. Tim touched on a good point earlier, and I want to uh, come back to that point. It's mm-hmm. the before we look externally about the tool and what the tools can do, it's to look internally and to see what our, the max of our capabilities are within the team. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a candid question, uh, Dennis, mm-hmm. because you're quite straight talking. So uh, with regards to any time you've had churn uh, at Convert, have there been any reasons where, I'm not saying it's the fault of a tool or anything, but it, has there been situations where because people haven't explored the features correctly or they haven't explored what the platform can do and they've decided to switch? Has that occurred any time? How do you t- tackle that? If we're looking, I think it's best to kind of give an idea why people churn with us and others, just to get an idea on how that that that's, that, that plays out. I think fifty uh, percent of the churn, like I have the exact numbers, but I didn't look it up before this this, this chat. Around fifty percent of people leave because they're not testing. 
basically yeah. the uh, or as you're touching the organizational structure is not ready to actually follow a zero program and we can detect that and we can try and work with it and send them to courses and we do lots of things to kind of get that level up but in the end there's lots of people you leave around 5 to 8% it's actually a feature problem so it's actually something they consider broke. We couldn't close the gap of the numbers between the ultimate truth, which is whatever analytics tool they consider the ultimate truth, uh, and what we showed. Like, um, um, like maybe a React, like an, an environment which is more complicated to deal with. Um, so they leave for, for, for features. So... Um, people leaving 20%, like the team changing, new yeah. person comes in. Oh, I love EVO. We're going to do EVO. Okay. Well, I mean, wow. there's, there's no way I can fight a new CRO person coming in. That's in love with their tool. Like, like Tim said, you love a tool, you bring it everywhere. And if anybody attacks you, I mean, it's also good for us. The same people that love us will bring it somewhere else. So those are kind of the, the, the big reasons for people churning. And, um, and yeah, if they come to us, it's the same thing, right? You need to hook into what are those main reasons. And um, so not exploring the tool. Now, it's not, in our case, we're not a, an Adobe or SiteSpec or a maximizer with 50,000 pages of manuals to kind of find what you need. It's pretty straightforward. It's like you go here, there's two menus there, you, you, you set things and that's it. You might not understand it, but we have chat support 24 seven, so you can kind of find it. It's not massively complicated. It's like an Ikea. It's kind of like here, screw, there, screw, and it's set up. Um, so it's not like I couldn't find it. I didn't know it didn't exist in that sense. So I don't think in our- My, my thing is more about the the lack of knowledge. It's not the, you know, that it doesn't exist in the tool somewhere and it's not intuitive to find it, but it's, as you said, because they're not testing or they, they, they haven't figured out what their testing strategy is, or they haven't figured out how not to use the visual editor, so on and so forth. So it's more around those lines rather than, you know, not being able to find it in the tool because every tool has different parities of intuitiveness mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there'll be people saying, oh, well, I need to do personalization and you don't have that as kind of one of your headline pieces and you're going, okay, well, what do you mean by personalization? And they go, oh, well, if they come in from this source, show them banner one or two and if they come in from this source, show them banner three or four. And you're like, so that's audiences and two creatives. <laughs> that, you know, if that's what you consider personalization, then yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah we can. But we don't, we don't call it that because that's not what we call personalization. But they're going, I'm going to move this great thing. It's automatic personalization behavioral tool. And it's like, well, you're basically talking about banner swapping and we, we can do that, but that's not anything you've ever had in your test plan. And they're like, uh, um, okay, so what, what's your personalization deck like? And we don't have one because that's not proper personalization. Okay. You end up exactly. going around in circles. Um, but that's, again, that kind of feature hunger, kind of the latest hot, hot snot stuff comes through. Um, yeah. Dennis asked a question kind of related to the RFP and kind of what do I think of that process and who who it suits and how, how well it's done. I think that kind of comes into the point you raised, Manuel, in terms of, you know, you need to look internally. Um, you know, like Dennis said, that the when you get an RFP through, it very often is written like there's only one correct answer and it's one of the vendors they've already picked. So yeah. 
RFP as a principle, as a, as a request for a proposal, you know, getting to tell me why we should buy from you, we should be included on a shortlist for, for a trial or something, should be a way to take to kind of the subjective personal opinions, the I'm a fan of this program out of it and allows the central purchasing to make the best business decision accounting for the stakeholders in the testing team, the IT stack, where the business as a whole wants to go in terms of cost and growth and takes a uh, subjective submissions for what we'd like in our tool from all of those departments and then creates a form that then goes to request to fill in information, providers of information, which allows the, the an objective, supposed the objective decision to be made to go. We asked for people to tell us how well they do in these scenarios, which will answer your questions. This tool answered the best. Therefore, that is quite apart from politics or who bought who beers at which conference, that's the tool we're going to go with because it's best for the business. It removes that person factor from the, yeah. the equation. What tends to happen is that everything has to go through an RFP, but the RFP process is more often than not, not run as it's intended. So it ends up no. being, you want to swap to a particular vendor. That vendor basically leans on how the RFP is phrased, asks questions that only they have a feature for, and they can there quite often copy paste from an existing wiki going, yes, we've got that. Yes, we've got that. Here's our three sentence answer to question five on your, your RFP. And then everybody else who is asked to tender and puts that in can either spend a lot of time doing it and ultimately fail or has got their own set of potted responses because these things come around quite often and they just copy and paste it in there. It ends up still being which one do you prefer? And it ends yeah. up still quite often being and who's willing to drop the price by enough to make it fit. Um, so it can be a massive waste of time compared to what it's supposed to be. But it's kind of the way, it's the dance we have to do at the enterprise level. That's kind of how all purchasing decisions tend to be rooted below, above a certain price. And why do I say that relates to the internal stuff? Is because quite often you're also seeing, if you're not seeing a vendor's footprints all over it, you're seeing the IT department's footprints all over it. You've got a bunch of really highly technical security questions which are not relevant to the sort of access you'll have for a testing tool. Sure. And they're and they're and they're they demanding what you must show us that you've got this you know FBI certified storage for all the names and email addresses you'd be collecting and you go we're not collecting any it's in our terms and conditions you can't do that anyway because that's <laughs> and they go yes but we have to be able to visit your servers twice a, twice a year and you're like I don't know go speak to Amazon ask ask if they do like a factory course like, you know it's but it's obviously patently being written by one department for to serve their tick boxes because they have to. Do, and I'm taking the mickey out of my team, they have to do compliance. They're legally required to have this sort of storage. They have to be able to be audited on this stuff. So any vendor they, they have permission in their system or potentially could has to pass the bar that is their own minimum target standards, et cetera. And sometimes it's marketing and we must be able to do banners and integrate with AdWords and integrate with Critio. Why? Because that's where we care. That's where we spend our time. The landing page yeah. stuff is just kind of a nice thing we're adding onto. So you can, can by reading the RFP, kind of interpret where they are in the business in terms of whether the CRO people actually had any say at all as to what features are in there and how it works and the problems they've got with current stack. So a good one can be very informative. They can actually kind of outline saying, we've got this, how would you cope with that? It becomes more like a job interview. If you're presented with this problem, yeah. tell me three ways you could handle that. And that yeah. then does make that kind of drawn out conversation actually turn to something that's very, very clear because they write down, here's what I plan, here's where I'm at now, here's the problems I'm having, 
your job will be to provide solutions for this. We have concerns around this and we'd like to understand a little bit more about the overall ecosystem in terms of support and escalation and SLA and living with you. And that is a valid use and a valid, a valid use case. So whilst I'm being dismissive of RFPs and saying actually quite often they, they're giving you a mirror as to how internally they're not really thinking in a CRO way about their purchasing decision. Um, the RFP principle, the idea of doing that would be the same sort of thing I'd advise to people when they're going before they post in a forum going, what's the best AB testing tool is to ask themselves those questions kind of yeah. do a mini RFP document for themselves. Dennis, I'm sorry if I suddenly encourage all the one, one man bands to suddenly start doing RFPs. I'm not saying to make the vendor do this. I'm saying, make yourself do this. Yeah. You know, Dennis was saying, make what, the do that. Yeah, make, you know, what, what are we using this for? How well are we using it? Do we think we could do what we aiming to do with this tool? If not, what are the blockers? Of the tools out there, do we know any of that? Don't know of any of them could solve those blockers? Is the cost and the technical cost? Because don't forget, these more advanced tools need more advanced coding. Yes, you can Correct. WYSIWYG what you like, but effectively, if you're going to start doing really complex, multi-step, multi-condition SPA state-aware tests, you need somebody who knows how to code that because you're going to be doing variants that are more complex than your existing site because they've got to sit on top of your existing site, not interfere with it, but also be different enough to measure. That's not a WYSIWYG kind of job. That's, you know, if you build technical that WYSIWYG. Cost. Yeah, yeah, technical the, the costs, technical ability, cost time, speed, speed of testing. So can you handle the truth? You know, can you move up to that next level? Or can you just work better with what you've got? Can you plan your roadmap to be a more Google-optimized mentality roadmap? So we go, look, for the next year, we can't do the sort of tests that Optimize doesn't cover. But... We have got a stack of tests we could think of which would be valuable enough to keep testing for a year. We don't lose momentum. And if all of those tests are useful to our further growth, then we can easily or more easily justify a paid solution that hasn't got five tests concurrent limit or hasn't got a, you can only AB switch this or hasn't got a three, or trying to think of the Google optimized limits, hasn't got a problem with integrating with our CRM stack like Google Enterprise does because BigQuery, whatever. But this is, these are questions you want to ask yourself before you start thinking, what's the best tool? Going, well, how good am I? Because how good I am and how good we can be and how good we plan to be will dictate a hard limit on how much value you can get from any tool. And that then maybe gives you an idea said, about where you move forward. Yeah, there's something you said over there as well about if someone trying to use an enterprise-level tool to just run WYSIWYG experiments, that's actually wasting the potential of that tool as well. And then that's to me, shows that you've bought into more of the marketing than the actual, you know, what you need at this point in time. For, you know, for example, with uh, uh, any tool, mid or mid to large, could potentially, you know, uh, achieve those things. If all you want to do is WYSIWYG, you could use the smaller tools out there, pay way less and just do those WYSIWYG tests. But if, uh, if you want to do those much more complex tests and much more advanced, um, you know, multivariates or personalization or whatever that is, you really need to know what you want to do with that tool first before going out there. So Dennis, anything you want to add to this as well? Yeah. Let's not mention <laughs> the visual editor anymore, please. It's just like, 
this is like well, the old one of the podcasts where we're like eventually going to be punished on just mentioning the idea. I, uh, I, basically, I would, I would anybody say, I think, with I think, a zero program should have a developer on staff by now. 2019, you do not touch the visual editor unless you want to know what DOM selector that is. That's it. Right? It's like, oh, what is that? And but please, like, let, let's not mention that because I think any tool, even Google Optimize and the very affordable ones nowadays are popping up a little bit. The visual editor will get you those free tests a year that you might be doing, but you could have bought Unbounce or a landing page testing thing for that as well, right? It's like, um, so we're really all, I think vendors also need to, and I think most of them are doing that. That's why most of them are moving to enterprise because we're now going to ask the question, are you a fit for us? Correct. Right? I think it's super important to, that we are now entering that phase where vendors are comfortable in saying, maybe you should better look at, hmm, because you know what, I'm investing I'm investing a couple of thousand dollars getting you on board here and you're going to churn in six months. Right. So, and, and so it's uncomfortable for most people. And uh, we hear a lot of complaining of people removing the contact buttons on the Optimizely site, but the people that are now buying Optimizely from this moment on, I'm pretty sure that they're really well trained as soon as you get into Optimizely. And so we can, we can say like, oh man, that's not fair. And you, you use the visual editor to get big and everything. But this is a stage where we are, as vendors, are now able to say, this is better not for us. And the prices are in that level. The onboarding, what we can give for that price is also in that level. And I think we and most tools nowadays have that conversation. And it's, it's, it's okay to say no. Like... It wasn't there five years ago when everything was on our box and we needed every customer and yeah, put me on the cross for just selling the visual editor at that time. Um, but you know what? <laughs> it's part of our YCRO became so big because everybody thought it was easy and now we're kind of all a little bit mature, the tools as well as zero, a whole industry and um yeah, so we can't do that anymore. We know it's not possible anymore. The demand is different. We want different things. From, and we know that those tests are not lasting anyway. Like we, the things that work do require massive amounts of research, do massive amounts of user study, usability things, speed, conversion. It's so much more than the tool. Tools probably nowadays 5% of that whole process. I mean, we are also 5% of the cost of this whole process and and... Yeah. And yeah, so it is, it is so different now than it used to be. And I think we're all maturing. The tools are maturing. The teams are maturing. The questions are getting smarter. Um, so I like it. The space is much more fun in this case and than it used to be. So does, this, does this explain the shift to uh, enterprise then but with a lot of tools, as you said, like Optimizely, VW, uh, AB Tasty, I think as well, you know, the shift where they've kind of raised their prices, removed the, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, contact us button or, you know, start free trial button. And it's more like, let's have a conversation first. I mean, that's the approach we take at Effective Experiments as well. It's like, you can't sign up for a trial or anything, primarily because again, we don't know if you're a good fit. The same thing, you know, how, as you said, AB testing has matured now, from a, from a program management point of view, 
you know, there's a lot of immaturity still. We're trying to like, you know, uh, educate and, and mm-hmm. engage them and make sure that they have the capacity and the capabilities in-house to, you know, use a tool like ours. And does that explain like why these companies have shifted um, to a much more enterprise level and what's happening further down then with, with uh, again, this is not singling out any tool, but I'm just naming some tools where the price points are cheaper, like Sidegainer, uh, Freshmarked, uh, Zoho Pages, I think. Yeah, you know, all these other tools on the lower end of the market. Uh, PageSense, sorry, that's it. Sorry, Zoho, PageSense. Um, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with those tools. They have a place in the market. But are they going to end up in this, facing the same problems that Optimizely is trying to avoid? Or are they two completely separate segments? How would you, how would you see that, Tim? I'll just I'll start off in defense of the, uh, the visual editors. Um, it's always one of it's always one of the first things that gets asked in any sales meeting. Have you got visual editor? Because we want the marketing team to use it as well. No offense to marketers, but um, whether it should whether it should be used or not, it has to be in there because somebody somewhere in the organisation, even a big organisation, will be starting out on their journey. And whilst the business as a whole is you know moving on with big strategic tests and is planning and working with IT on release stuff somebody somewhere has to make a landing page work better than it did yesterday and their level of skill and the level of support and the amount of depth that they can call on is very small so a visual editor or an unbounce or something like that still has a role in teaching them that here's where you start so in defense of the WYSIWYGs and the rest of it you know they're there for a reason even within an organization you've got people who are new on board who have got a very small remit and a very small ability and you could argue whether perhaps time would be better spent researching their audience and just changing the page because traffic levels but if there's surely tools like if it's just WYSIWYG and landing page stuff like as Dennis said earlier tools like Unbounce for example might be better and I'd class class that that in the same thing the same as like uh, Crazy Egg and Decibel Insight both call themselves conversion insight tools now rather than heat mapping and it's in that same you know it's because frankly that's what you are getting you're trying you know the numbers tell you there's a gap watching somebody's session replay t- gives you an idea as to why there might be a gap testing then goes right here's our potential solutions for the gap we're trying to fill and that that all kind of fits into a wider piece and i think we're experiencing the same sort of um diversification as we've seen with seo you know seo clearly breaks into kind of content technical seo and internationalization hf rang h Reflang is its own specialization and you've got e-commerce specialists and travel specialists and anti-spam and pro-spam specialists you know you can put seo under one big umbrella and call it that but there are many different disciplines and many different levels of maturity within that so your question about are we seeing everybody moving enterprises are we seeing in there i think to a degree we still do have a market where the potential is growing I think the the point both you and Dennis raised about the the cost of acquisition, cost of retention, is if there is a cost natural of training. Fit, yeah, cost of training. Because even if you if it's not live chat and it's not training sessions and webinars like people heavy, it's lots of FAQs and managing forums, and that's still quite intensive to create. It's intensive to update because if your if your product's moving on fast, your your FAQs and your how to documentation is out of date pretty much as fast yeah. as well you know and that creates a massive overhead so you need to be able to spread that cost and you know if you spent x amount of time you know creating that asset building the tool boarding people so then they turn up and you know don't do their homework they weren't at a stage where they need 
uh, badly enough, they aren't spending weekends revising and working. They just kind of go, press the button, money didn't go up, I'll try a different one. When, when you've got that level of kind of loyalty, it needs to be a low cost, low barrier, low risk for the supplier. So, but if we look at the way other tools, other markets have gone, there's still, as much as you've got your big enterprise level suites, you're still going to have the guys who do, I do the one bit, the just the bounce pages, so just the, um, just the, the email mechanisms for A-B testing. I, I just do testing. The, yeah. That one part of it, not having personalization, behavioral, et cetera. That's something you can automate, can make cheaper, can only permit people to use, do tests that are WYSIWYG friendly because then you can do volume. So although you can't make it per person, your human interaction remains quite low because you don't need to. You can automate it. You're expecting churn, but as long as you can be useful to somebody for six months, that's the period in which you make your profit. It's that middle yeah. patch that's the tricky one because there is that big jump between free and basic and should we call them pseudo enterprise? I wouldn't necessarily then necessarily say they're enterprise level in terms of quality, but they are pricing themselves and selling themselves that way because it suits suits their marketing. You know, we're enterprise level only has got more kudos than you can buy us for 50 quid a month up to 1500. And that's, yeah. that, that also helps them in terms of being included for RFPs, you know, until optimizely and video, the rest all put, start put themselves forward as, you know, we are an enterprise tool with enterprise level sales and after support. They weren't featuring on many RFPs you'd see coming across your desk. You'd be, you, you, you'd get, you know, the big three and then, oh yeah, let's chuck a cheap one in as well. And it was who got to fight for that spare spot at the table. There's a, there's a yeah. marketing position piece, but there are companies out there who don't plan to do that. They plan to be mass market. They don't ever want to be doing, they don't plan to hire the sales force it requires to maintain that, the customer service force it requires to maintain that. So I think there's going to remain that kind of lower entry, more automation side of it. And with the tools getting clever and with automation getting better, we should see more of that. But I think that gap in the middle where people aren't quite one or the other is going to remain a very hard place to play. That's interesting you say that. In terms of um, the enterprise aspect as well, uh, you know, for people again kicking off that you know they were on this cheap plan and now the the prices jumped up quite a bit. It's quite, quite significant. I remember like many years ago uh, when I was consulting, like Optimizely was like about thirty three pounds a month or something, okay. just paying you know really cheap, and then all of a sudden now the, I, I don't know what their current pricing is, but really expensive, right? And, and an Dennis, you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, price and application. And I think there was also some price discrimination that uh, was brought up somewhere on some forum about how like VWS pricing could be, you know, again, this is not, you know, saying anything against them. That's their business strategy. It makes sense. Yeah, you're, for them. Off, you're off everybody's Christmas card list this year, mate. I know, man. <laughs> Tell me about it. People are like sending me hate mail next, but I'm trying to keep it as unbiased and really take everyone down at the same time. <laughs> But 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 in terms of uh, the future of where this goes, so rather than just saying, you know, they're going enterprise, will we see some kind of uh, tools becoming more specialized in certain areas? As you said, within uh, SEO, you're seeing those tools, you know, uh, being specialized yeah. in certain areas. Will we see tools like that? To be the case. I, think, I think we'll see people who struggle to be, you know, jack of all trades. So we'll see at the lower end, what you'll get is a collection of things that do one part of it. 
and then yeah. people can assemble those. So kind of Zoho and its sweet idea, modular uh, base camp, and, and those like those guys, they've got the same modular bit. We can bolt on something extra, and that yeah. actually is how it works at the enterprise level. You can get the basic version of Target, and then you can get Target Plus with all the tools and data warehouse attached and a certain amount of storage. So that kind of uh, dare I say it, Ryanair style pricing. That works in terms of <laughs> right, the, en awesome. the entry level for the bit you need is fine, but if you want an extra bag check, it's going to cost you. That's kind of where I think most of it will go. But then that kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier. If you've written down which of those features you want, you know whether the uh, personalization add-on or the MVT upgrade is something which you're going to use and can get value from. And so... Yeah that the whole market becoming more mature, but also kind of the lower end of the market, understanding that for this thing, we have to pay more because we can't have a cheap or free tool that does this because technically it's harder, but even if technically it wasn't harder, we need somebody in-house, so we've got salary and, and kind of overheads, to have somebody who can actually run that level of testing. And yeah. that's, that growth, that improvement, you know, is is it's not a high growth market in terms of size. It's a high growth market in terms of how many people are capable of doing better testing and where it was maybe 10% of that hundred thousand were doing what I'd call really good testing 10 years ago, five years ago. We're now we're talking about 40% who are doing a good job. So yeah. the need for a better quality tool, the need for better organization and frankly, obviously effective experiments, the piece I see that's missing and not done well in all of them is that kind of, structuring that learning is that writing down what we learned the value of from your testing is what you learn from testing and very few of them have got anything that's anything more than a token kind of document store nothing approaching a workflow process and tools like effective experiments i see as part of kind of the module ecosystem and much the same as i see with with you know seo you've got seo tools that are great for crawling sites you've got seo tools that are great for monitoring keyword position you've got seo tools that are good for technical analysis on on paid load and, and speed and where's the best place to put your cdns etc there's no one yeah. tool does all of that very well the enterprise level you have somebody buys two or three enterprise level tools for two or three enter enterprise level jobs and they work because they stitch those bits together and at the bottom end you'll see somebody who's got a one one size does everything tool for hundred dollars yeah. a month not very good at any of those but it does all of it and that's what they need is breadth not depth and i think that's the same way our market's already moving and um, what what's missing i mean right even if you look at the middle yeah even if you look at customer behavior tools i mean hotjar comes up as an example um you know they, they they're a tool that does everything in terms of you know heat maps click maps session recordings and stuff and then you've got someone like uh, a company like full story that just does session recordings and just that you know and again uh, i've seen people uh, you know people swear by hotra and there are people that will be like you know what you prefer this one for session recordings only yeah, you've got things like content square that does a little bit of both in terms of it will do tracking and it will do a b testing i don't know knowledge this country but it's got a b testing capabilities for pages um uh, you've got hotjar does form tracking and form optimization reporting or funnel basic funnel reporting, um, then so does something like Mouseflow. And then you've got something like Formissimo. And even Formissimo, uh, Formissimo yeah. as an example, being much more specific to form analytics. But yeah. the question then becomes, uh, from a marketing point of view, from a, a CRO point of view as well, and, and again, you know, uh, we've had um, companies like VW and Optimizely also offer 
program management tools. And we've, we had the inverse question from customers saying like, hey, when are you coming up with your A-B testing solution? And it was <laughs> like, uh, never, <laughs> probably never. Well, that's a different like market to attack and there's so many better players than us. Like we want to be the best in terms of program management and we, our entire focus is on it. There are better players that will focus on, on A-B testing that we can just hook up with and that's our, you know, that's us done. So when talking to someone within uh, you know, an organization and the CRO is looking at the option of paying X amount, which is cheaper for everything combined in one place, right? Versus you know, one piece over here, one piece over there, and then the, the added it becomes an added cost at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So how, how do we get a person to objectively evaluate each individual piece and figure out if this all-in-one solution actually ticks all those boxes or whether it makes, well, not, financial sense in the short term, but financial sense in the long term as well for, uh, you know, having these best in class of these, you know, a suite of best in class tools as such. Yeah, best in class for you. You know, you might not use the form tracking part very often. So do you need yeah. the best in class version of that? Or do you even need yeah. the one that's the, the, the half thought out product in the enterprise level one? You might just not need an enterprise product does that at all and as needed bolt on Formissimo to fix some bits, you know, so the, that's where I think the, we still sit heavily with the emotional buying side of things. People pick the suite because it sounds good. It's all in one place up until yep. the bit they need is the bit that's underpowered and you can't yeah, sure. know what you're going to need it for until you are planning that part of what you need. So you end up with these RFPs that say, we plan to do everything all the time at massive volume and we'll grow team by 30 members this year. And as Dennis says, the main reason people churn is they said that they didn't do any of that. And it sat there being paid <laughs> for, but not used. You know, business sure. gets in, business yeah. gets in the way. So that, that's where I, my kind of pitch was looking at. If the answer is, it depends, look at what you realistically now need to do and think as far ahead as you can, which might be, years if you're particularly good at it and got lots of data it might be the next three months going is the choice we make now going to back us into a cul-de-sac for at least the the period the 12-month period of this this contract where we won't be able to move on to the next step until we've moved on at that point maybe spend a bit more time but people spend so much time in kind of uh, analysis paralysis and a lot less time getting on with doing stuff and that more often than not is the thing that makes it fall down. Whatever level they're at is the, the get on and do stuff part is the bit that's not actually yeah. being optimized. It's the, we can, we can pretend we need to think about it and overthink things too much side that's, that's engineered to hell. But the, uh, the level which people are at, I don't think you'll ever get that perfect utopia. Certainly no other market I'm aware of has done that without, you know, the sort of uh, monopoly that people reject wholeheartedly, you know, Think about what works together. You've got the, the Adobe ecosystem. You've got the Google ecosystem. You've got the Microsoft Office 365 ecosystem. Think about how well Word and Excel and PowerPoint all work together. Yeah. That wasn't chance, and not everybody needs all of the tools in the entire suite, but you are in that cable movies or cable package thing where you've got all the channels you want plus about 50 more you don't care about, but that's it. That's how they do their business model. But because they yeah. all talk together, people accept that and go, oh, added value I didn't use. When it comes to purchasing multiple suppliers, multiple vendors, some of that comes down to business policy. You know, it may be the best in breed is best in breed because it is one of each, but they go, you've got budget for one tool that does some of this stuff. Sure. You have to build your test plan accounting for 
what you're limited by, be that the tool, the people, the skills, the capability, the capacity, and make the most of what you've got. Cool. Dennis, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's important what, what Tim said in the sense that I think all tools are valuable and it's kind of the people that, that are in a particular stage and they pick the tool. And I think it's perfectly fine to switch tools because new desires come, new thoughts, new limitations were hit. And then you go, go to the next because something that I think many people forget it is not the CRO people that drive the tools maturity. It is the finances behind the SaaS tools that drive where we're going. So it's not because the CRO market is changing that Optimizely or EV Tasty or VVO are going a particular enterprise market. It is the finances, financial models behind their business that forces people to go in a certain direction. I'm not sure if everybody knows the SaaS model, but it's perfectly fine to acquire on a growing company 90% of your customer acquisition cost compared to the lifetime value. It's perfectly fine. You can do that for the first six years and you keep loading up in, in debt and, and the funding rounds. And at one point, you need to stabilize in one third of the cost of acquisition compared to your lifetime value. And that's considered a good business, but it's okay that it lasts, um, it takes uh, six years to get there. So there are tools right now that are six, seven years in maturity and now need to go IPO, they need to be sold off. Um, I'm lobbying with Burger King because McDonald's got a good deal recently, so I'm also lobbying <laughs> in that area. Now it's <laughs> about the financial models and I think that's super important to know like why a tool goes in that market and a CRO specialist, well, you all think because I'm not a CRO specialist in any, in any means compared to our customers, but I look at the finances of a SaaS and I'm like, wow, my CAC is, is significant. Why? Because everybody's switching. The new users of A-B testing tools are kind of like growing very, very limited. So we're now switching. I need to buy significantly more ads to get the same customer. How do I pay that? Oh, my customer really will stay with us support. Okay, 24 seven, 365. Yeah, that's ching ching. So my, my total price goes up and I can only afford people that come to us for a particular price. And everybody has that same problem. I mean, uh, Zorget, when it was sold to, I think, to Zoho, right? Or no, that was Fresh Marketer. It's uh, now Fresh Marketer. Fresh Desk is now Fresh Marketer, right? Zorget. Anna, if you look at that story, how the acquisition went, it was super interesting for me. It's exactly the story. They had like $3 million on the bank, still there, just funded, and they sold anyway because... I think the realization is it's a really expensive market to acquire a happy customer for somebody else. It's just not going to happen that easy. So it's just like we're convert. We're, we're not that funded as if we just wait until you ha are in that 5% range that something broke somewhere else. Are you ready for that new tool because you're not happy, but Google optimize sessions, whatever, and you don't want to stitch it all together and you just want to, we're just waiting for that. We're just aware, we're creating awareness and then you come and that's it. So 
my cost of acquisition is significantly lower than somebody else. And that's for, therefore, I don't need to go enterprise. So it's not always the, the, the maturity of the CRO special, it's also the maturity of the company and the industry. And so these people go enterprise and there will be new people joining. So we have really cool tools, uh, the Zoho um, site gainer is there and uh, Convertize, I think is, is there. There's lots of people that say, you know what, for our, for our market, we're still perfectly fine charging $200, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're working on referrals more than, than paid ads. Um, we don't have 24-7 add-ons for support. We don't have many hours of onboarding and training. We don't fly in to hug you when, when your first test is there. Yeah, like we don't do that. And so 200 bucks is what we can do. And so there is a natural growth of SaaS companies. And, and the same thing as what Tim said, and what you also mentioned is we're splitting up and diversifying slightly. So there will be like, ooh, I go more in personalization. Why? Well, you know, there used to be Kiss Metrics and Mix Panel, and we all both went our ways, right? And so in time, it makes sense to go for an A-B testing tool like Optimize for mobile. And there will be something very strong for uh, feature flags, like Optimize is going there, but there's also a split I.O. there, very strong. So yeah, as well. like yeah, yeah, they're splitting off into particular niches and talking about and niches, Dennis. Yeah, do you want to like? Is that something that convert is going to be moving into any niche, or are you guys, you know, going to be the uh, the same tool as you are right now? What's the future looking like for you? We are adding a different product as well. So something that Tim, but like the modeler part is like you add something next to it where people are saying, I'm really ready for that. And for us, mm -hmm. it's going to be in the direction of account-based marketing and personalization at scale. Um, so that's kind of the area where, where we're, we'll, you'll see different products on this Interesting. year. So that's going to fit with, because you had a very strong GDPR um, angle for the last kind of yeah. year, year and a half. Personalization yeah. on company level because, yeah, we can't, yeah. We, we can't do personalization on, on person level. Right? That's, 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 that's kind of, that's one of the bits that's lacking in some, most of the tools is they don't have that CRM link. So if you've got that, that's quite an interesting play. Yeah, it's on account level only because it's, yeah. yeah. Thank you for noticing the GDPR thing is so strong with us that hard, hard we will to never not, be able to go. I know we'll, we will like, be able to where it's like, if there's a GDPR oh, question, it's pointed at pointed him at you and went, look, look I, Dennis is much more stuff on this than I have. Um, yeah, but yeah, that, but like, that's, I think, yeah, quite, quite strong. Our personalization strong. is in we know everything about you and hey, creepy us. Um, so definitely not in that area. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's that. And it's, it's like, it's not going to be heat maps and, and it's not going to be programmatic uh, and workflow management of the experiment. So it's like, you have to pick. And some are more broad, like um, we see AB testing going in the same direction as VVO with some of the uh, more traditionally more hot jar products in there. And hot jar saying, oh, we're not going here. But TrazyX says, oh, yeah, I'm going to hide it, but I'm adding AB testing right now to it because I can make a couple of bucks there. And so everybody's kind of like setting out what they are comfortable with. And for for the user, it's just like, where am I? What's the level that I'm at? And, which and, they're, and, they're, all, and they're all fishing. They're all seeing which of those new product features gets traction. And if it does, then they'll make more of a fanfare about it. But they're kind of, they're fishing where the market is and they're trying to see who they are. They're basically using a, what we consider to be a, a testing mentality in terms of let's try it and, and see how we get on. The problem for the product owners is nice. that's not true. Build a product and 
as you two will both know, it costs a lot of money just to build it, let alone maintain it and look after people. Um, I think so the lean, lean startup methodology is really good for that, right? So, I mean, you haven't seen it all there, and but we have been working with ads. We got some traction on particular topics, on particular topics not. Just going to landing pages. You can start building product with users. And, and so it doesn't have to be expensive, is it? Like, we don't have to build the whole AB, um, account-based marketing suite for you. We just... Pick, we start building with 10, 15 customers. We have a waiting list. We have a beta list. And it's all kind of very lean startup methodology nowadays. So it doesn't have to be um, build it and wait. And so I, I yeah, think so that was more flexible for most tools in there. Cool. Guys, we have run out of time now. I really uh, appreciate you joining us, Dennis. Uh, it's now midnight in Bali over there. I hope you have a good time with your team uh, at your retreat. Uh, so thanks again for, for sharing your insights about the state of tools and where the industry might be going with the different players out there. Uh, again, we try to keep this as unbiased as possible. So thanks for staying you know, with us on, on that. Uh, and Tim, uh, thank you for joining me again. It's always a pleasure having you on and uh, listening to your long stories. <laughs> okay. We'll zip it at that. Uh, but uh, for everyone at home or in the office listening uh, to us or watching the, the episode, uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, the takeaways uh, from this show is really look internally before you look for a tool out there and really evaluate your own capabilities and what you really need out of the solution. Uh, if you want to check out any of the previous episodes, go on iTunes, uh, there's Apple Podcast or Spotify and coming soon on Stitcher as well. And if you want the videos, uh, you can watch all the episodes in a Netflix-style presentation on our website, effectiveexperiments.com. Uh, if you are looking for a better way to manage your uh, experimentation program, do check us out. We will still have that conversation if we're a good fit or not. We're not bypassing that, and we're not selling to you either. But yeah, thanks for listening. This is Manuel Da Costa signing off. Thanks a lot. Bye for now. See you all. all right.